Ion 2020 episode 268. Have 2020 vision with Ion 2020, your source for the news and events in the lead up to the 2020 presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date daily until November 2020 with a libertarian perspective on the candidates and their policies along with the news. Thank you for joining me. Now let's clear our vision. Hey, what's up everybody? Ray Eaton here, host of Ion 2020. Thanks for joining me. Another day, another week, this 2020 election cycle. And can you imagine, just imagine, so a lot's happened since the last recording I did. I recorded on Wednesday last week because Super Tuesday just got over. I wanted to get some information out to you uh, on that day. And a lot, everyone dropped out by then except for, uh, it was Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and uh, Joe Biden. Those were the only three that were left in the race at that point. And Mike Bloomberg just dropped out at that point. And I said, you know what, I need to get an episode out now, go over these Super Tuesday results. And there they went, you know. And uh, Super Tuesday happens, Michael Bloomberg drops out on Wednesday, and then by Friday... Elizabeth Warren's out of the race. I think it was Thursday night, actually. Elizabeth Warren's out of the race. So now it's just... Picture this in your mind, guys. Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. So Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, they are the only two on that debate stage. Can you imagine? They're the two guys that are left, two old white guys that are well over 70, and they're the only two people left on the debate stage to uh, talk about... Medicare for all, healthcare debate, all that stuff. They're the two Democrats that are left except for one, and that is Tulsi Gabbard. Now, Tulsi Gabbard, not a viable candidate at this point, really. I mean, you guys know how I felt about her. I like the fact that she tried to make the anti-war issue her number one issue from the very beginning. Uh, And she got on the debate stage, and she made a couple of good appearances talking about non-aggression, you know, a foreign policy of non-aggression, a foreign policy of non-intervention is actually what she was talking about. And she had a couple times, like the one, there was one debate where she was talking about a non-aggressive, you know, a foreign policy of non-aggression, a foreign policy of non-intervention. She kept on making the same statement over and over again. And people kind of laughed at that. It didn't really come off as, come off very smooth. But there was a couple of good debate performances she had, and that was it. She didn't make the cutoff for the last several debates that they've had because she didn't have the support. She didn't have a whole lot of uh, donor, like the donors that she needed. She didn't have the early, early polling states. She wasn't pulling high in those early voting states as well. And she just kind of fell off. But she never dropped out of the race. She's, I think she's the only other candidate that has been on the debate stage that has not... Um, dropped out. So, technically, you have Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, and Tulsi Gabbard that are still in the race, but like I said, she's not a viable candidate uh, right now. The Democratic National Committee actually changed the rules because one of the rules was as long as you had a delegate, uh, you'd be on that debate stage, and she has, I think she has one delegate, maybe two, and one of those delegates is from, like, the uh, French Polynesia or something like not French Polynesia, like one of those territories that we have out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean because she is 
uh, from Hawaii, so you would assume that that you know she could probably get a delegate in some of these Polynesian countries, right? But or these Polynesian territories of the United States. I think it's Guam actually is where she got the got the uh, got the delegate from. But the Democratic National League, you know, basically pushed her out, and that's fine. I mean, they can make up their own rules, whatever they want to do. It just makes them look like crap whenever you know they start trying to tear people down or trying to uh, you know push people out, and they do that all the time. I mean, they've, they've done it from the very beginning. So you have Joe Biden, you have Bernie Sanders. But picture this in your mind: close your eyes. You hear the hum of my car. You know, think of that as like the hum of uh, of a meditation, of a meditation uh, CD or something like that, or, or meditation soundtrack, right? So picture this. In your mind, you're looking at the the next debate, and you're uh, you're you're live in the audience, and you got Bernie Sanders, and you have Joe Biden, and then you have uh, let's say Rachel Maddow is the is the person representing MSNBC. She's the she's the person that gets to do all the questioning, right? She's the moderator, and uh, you're in that debate, watching that debate, and you got Bernie Sanders arms flailing, you know, arms just going crazy all over the place, Medicare for all, and talking about health care for everybody, and free education, and free this, and free that, uh, just selling out the entire future of America for free stuff, right, just, uh, we're just going to put it on the credit card, we're going to make all this stuff happen, America's going to be the socialist utopia, the, the democratic socialist utopia that I've always dreamed of, you know? arms flailing everywhere, hair flying all over the place. He, he knocks, he, he, he's, his arms are flailing so much, he just, uh, he hits Joe Biden in the face. You know, the, uh, the uh, it's just going crazy. That's what's happening on the debate. You close your eyes, right? You're picturing that in your mind. And then all of a sudden, Joe Biden starts talking and he cannot put together a coherent sentence for the life of him, Right? He is just talking about his grandkids and talking about, you know, how great his wife is and talking about how his sister is this, and he just goes on and on and on. And then all of a sudden, his time comes up, and he's like, yep, and he just stops talking immediately. Oh, sorry, Boy Scout motto. (laughs) You know, like, can you imagine these two on the debate stage debating each other? Bernie Sanders is going to sound like the coherent person on that stage. And you're going to have Joe Biden sounding completely incoherent on that stage. You're going to have Bernie Sanders looking like the one that can put together a a decent conversation. He's going to seem like the sane one. Even though Joe Biden is probably more sane in, I guess, the policy overall, I suppose. I mean, they're both... They're both people that want to increase the size of the state. They're both the people that want to increase the size and scope of the government. They're both the people that want to tax more, spend more, give more, have a larger safety net, take over more parts of the economy. Joe Biden may be less so, but they're both equally on that path. They're on the same bus, moving in a direction towards more state control of everything you got Joe Biden though who has nobody nobody is into his campaign 
Nobody's excited about the guy at all. Even Kamala Harris endorses Joe Biden. And she's using the pitch, we need somebody who, you know, is who the people in America deserve somebody who respects the dignity of this office. And that's why we need Joe Biden. Like, not his principles, not his policies, nothing. We need someone that's going to be the American people can respect the dignity of those that's going to live up to the dignity of the presidential office. That's why she's endorsing him. There's no excitement in that. That's not that's not a campaign that you could run on that oh look at Donald Trump disrespects the office, look at me, I'm going to be it's going to be a dignified office again because every Trump supporter thinks that what Trump is doing is okay. So that's not something you can run on. A lot of independents think what Donald Trump is doing is okay. That's not something you can run on. Yet that's the campaign slogan that he's going to have. Bring back dignity to the presidential office. The office of the presidency. No, that's not going to work for him. There's no inspiration to that campaign whatsoever. The guy can hardly put together a coherent statement... He's going to be out there on the campaign trail just making gaff after gaff. The, the press is going to be on it. I mean, there's already, you look at YouTube, you know, Joe Biden gaffs and it'll come up. Can't, I mean, that's all you're going to see. And then look at Bernie Sanders. Check this guy out, right? Just out there. He has the excitement of the youth behind him. He has all kinds of free stuff that he's offering everybody. He's going to buy his way into the office in some way. And that's, that's, that's the way I feel about it. And I was looking at one YouTube YouTube video. You guys might have seen it as well. And it kind of sums up the, the Bernie voter in some way. Even though I hate to say one YouTube video sums up the Bernie voter. Because that's, tr- that's not the case. Some people are true believers. And a lot of people are true believers in Bernie Sanders and in this uh, socialist, this democratic socialist utopia that he speaks about. But one of them, they have this, uh, they have this little cardboard thing on a string hanging around her neck, and it says one hundred and twenty thousand dollars on it. And someone walks up to her and says, "So what is that?" And she says, "That's why I'm voting for Bernie Sanders because he's going to eliminate my student loans." He's going to make college tuition free. Free college tuition for everybody. Eliminate all student loan debt. So, I can guarantee you, if you paid anybody 120 grand, they would vote for you. But it's not Bernie Sanders that's paying 120 grand to get that vote. He's promising to eliminate student loan debt essentially a $120,000 payment to that person to get their vote. Why would that person vote for anybody else? That's what they're thinking, right? So are you buying votes that way? And whose money are you using to buy the votes, Bernie Sanders? Oh yeah, you're going to chalk it up to some idea that everyone needs free education, everybody needs a free college tuition, there's too much student debt out there, so we're just going to eliminate that without getting to the heart of the problem, the reason why tuition continues to increase. 
I mean, look at colleges nowadays and tell me why tuition is increasing. Check this out. You go onto college campus for your tour. They don't take you to the classrooms. They don't take you to meet professors. They don't take you to the College of Education, the College of Business Administration, the Engineering Department. No, they don't really take you by there. They take you by the student dormitories. There are these luxurious student mecca apartments now, right? They have the lazy river and the whirlpool. They, I mean, for all we, some of them might even have luxury accommodations on the inside with, you know, souped up kitchens and showers and the whole nine yards. I don't, I know that's the case, but the colleges are putting up these ever more immaculate student areas with gyms and rock climbing walls, these amazing pools. It's like spring break every single day. Does that cost money? Of course it does. And that's what the colleges have to do to compete with each other because they're competing for those dollars, guys. They're competing for those dollars. And what are those dollars, where are those dollars coming from? Are they coming from the kids? No, they're coming from the kids' parents. Yeah, a lot of that money is. But also those kids on top of their parents' money, if their parents do have any money to give them, on top of that, they can take out an ever-increasing amount of student loans to pay for that stuff. So let's just say, let's for assumption's sake, assuming you could take out $20,000, and this person had $120,000, so let's say, for argument's sake, you could take out $30,000 in student loans per year, $15,000 per semester. Let's just assume that that's the case, right? So you have $30,000 in student loans per year going towards your education, your living expenses, and all that stuff. Why wouldn't you put up these amazing spring break-like accommodations with lazy rivers and, you know, hot tubs and full liquor bars and, you know, these resort amenities at these apartment complexes, at these student dormitories. These uh, amazing weightlifting facilities and recreational facilities on these college campuses. Why wouldn't you do that when there's $30,000 per year to go after per student? And every kid thinks that you have to go to college to get a great education, to get a good job when you graduate. Because it's true. A college-educated student is going to make more than somebody that went to high school, most likely. Like, that's the, the, that's the one thing that you can assure that you're going to get yourself a forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 a year job out of high school. Or $30,000 if you're in some professions or whatever. But most companies, or most, yeah, most businesses nowadays, like if you want to get into pharmaceuticals, you don't have to have a health degree or business degree specifically. They just say they want a college degree, four-year degree. It just shows that you are somebody that could finish something, I guess. And that's what they're looking for, right? That's what the colleges are looking for. Or that's what the business is looking for. So because of the fact that more and more students, I think it's, you know, 70% of students that graduate from high school nowadays go to college, whereas in the 80s it was like 50% or less than 50% of students that graduate from high school go to college. Now it's in the 70% tile, like 70% of them will go to college. So in that case, you have 20% more students going to college 
chasing after the same amount of universities. I don't know of a new university that opened up lately. So the universities keep on adding more and more dormitories. They keep adding more and more schools, buildings, parking lots, everything else to accommodate that amount. There's this huge construction boom that's going on on these campuses. And they can do it because they know that that money's going to keep on coming. And then on top of that, I think the generation of... It's the year 2007 is the largest number of kids born in 2007 than any other year. So just think 18 years from 2007. What would that be? 2025 is the year that those kids are going to start going to college? 2025, 2026? So in that year, they're going to have to accommodate 70% of those kids are going to go to college, right? So it's only going to get more from there. It's only going to get larger. The number of students that want to go to college. Now there is a trend sort of going away from college, but that's not a trend that's going to, you know, go down that that significantly. You might have instead of 70% of kids, 65% of kids that are going to go to college from that generation. But still, it is a fact that, I mean, as the as that generation proceeds, the students, the schools know that they have got to entice those kids to go to their school. So they're going to produce more and more wave pools, more and more, I mean, just more and more resort-style accommodations for these kids. Because they have $30,000, $50,000 a year that they could spend to go to college. And, I mean, that's, that's the reason why the prices keep going up. Because of the ability to take out loans. Can you imagine an 18-year-old walking up to a bank and saying, hey man, just so you know, I'm, I'm about to start my own business, loan me 50 grand. And I want 50 grand every year for the next four years. But I'm going to start a business, it's going to be great. But you know what, by the way, I don't want to start paying that back until my business starts being successful four years from now. No bank would loan that to those students. But it's so easy to get a student loan, you just walk into the financial aid office and boom, there you go. $30,000, a year. No problem. No problem whatsoever. It's a market that would not exist otherwise. So what is the what is Bernie Sanders' way to address the student loan crisis? What is Bernie Sanders' way to address the fact that college affordability is, you know, or colleges are less affordable than they were way back when? What's his way to address it? Just make it free. With anything that's free, though, just picture this. Imagine if they said, all cars are free tomorrow. The first thing you do is go straight down to your car dealership and get yourself a car, right? But all cars are free. Not just the cheap ones. All cars are free. So are people going to be lining up at the Ford dealership? No, they're going to be lining up at the Porsche dealership. I better get down to the Bugatti dealership as fast as I can. All cars are free. Everyone's going to go for the finest they could possibly get because of that. Now, colleges can be a little bit more discretionary. They could base things on grades and things like that. That's how they can ration things a little bit. But, so the Harvards of the world, if if college tuition was free, then the, not the Harvard, because Harvard's a private college or private university, but let's say uh, University of California, 
in Berkeley, right? One of the better schools or Stanford or something like that. One of these public universities, like the best of the best, they're going to get all the applications because it's free. The worst of the worst, not so much. Then they start rationing according to that with anything. So because of the fact that in economics, all things are scarce. That's like one of the first laws of economics, that there's scarcity in everything, scarcity of resources, scarcity of university seats. So the way to ration it is there's a couple ways you can do it. By force, by the government saying, this is how many we have and we're going to go ahead and ration it accordingly. So you get it, you get it, you get it, but you don't. Or you can choose the price. Increase your prices to ration it. And that's what colleges have had to do or been able to do because there's very, the demand is still there. 70% of kids want to go to school. Most people don't think about it what the cost is when they decide what the college they're going to go to. They're not like, all right, so University of South Carolina is 14000 a year, but if I go down to the University of Florida, it's $8,000 a year. Kids aren't thinking about that. They're like, I just want to go to the, you know, the university that my friends are going to. And I can get student loans to do it. That's just the way that the university system is. So Bernie Sanders is not solving that problem. He's making it worse. The capital investment that goes in the university system now is going to be dependent upon government funding rather than the capital system they're using now to expand exponentially. But that that expansion of that exponential expansion that's having the university system is going to be short lived. That money's going to run out. Kids are going to start realizing that $200,000 in debt is not a good way to start off your life, so maybe I'll figure out some other way to get my education. That's what's going to happen. They're going to figure out other ways to get their education because $200,000 is a lot of money to start off with. Now, if you have a Harvard education, maybe a little bit different than a public university education at some random public university in some random town in some random state. I'm sure that's the case. But kids are going to realize that, you know, that partying, that, that lifestyle of going to college is not worth it. But I doubt, I doubt they're thinking about that when they're 18. They realize it when they're 22. And that's why Bernie Sanders appeals to them so damn much, guys. Because he's offering a so-called solution to a problem they see. When the real solution to that problem is stop making student loans so accessible. Don't make it so easy for these kids to get themselves racked into debt. Make them think about the cost of their education overall. And if they're thinking about the cost of their education, they'll make decisions accordingly. The price of college will come down if you let the free markets rule in that, in that world, okay? But that's all I really got to say about, you know, that. What I wanted to mostly talk about today is just the fact that you have Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden are the last two standing. And it is, to me, a comedy routine. I mean, I might watch the debates just for the, com- com- the comedic effect of watching Bernie Sanders' hands fly all over the stage. And maybe he'll whap old Joe Biden right in the face as those hands fly around and can you imagine the secret service come jump on bernie sanders after he assaults the president or the the ex-vice president of the united states right that'll be absolutely insane absolutely hilarious and then 
Joe Biden won't even know what's going on because he's so senile. It'll be funny. But, hey guys, huge day in the markets today as well. That's the last thing I wanted to talk about. Um, Huge day in the markets. I guess overnight, something happened between Russia and Saudi Arabia where they could not come to a deal on the output production of oil. And all of a sudden, because of that, both of the countries said they're going to produce as much as they can. And it just dropped the oil down by like 30 or 40% overnight. I think it was 30% overnight. Stock markets around the world crashed because of it. In the United States, it went down by 2,000 points at one point. And uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, sorry, went down by like 2,000 points at one point. And yeah, it was insane. It's been an insane day in the markets. And uh, I think as of recording now, it's like down 1,200 points, the Dow Jones is. And the challenge with the economy is that the economy has been relatively good, but it's built on a sand foundation. And when you have the economy that's built on a sand foundation, it's hard to figure out when it's going to tank, right? And it's starting to tank now. I mean, it was at the all-time highs of 29,000 like a month ago. And now it's down, you know, really low, down to like 23,000 right now on the Dow Jones Industrial Average. And that's just uh, killing people's, I'm sure it's killing people's 401ks. How do you lose you know, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars overnight. Well, that's just it. Um, when OPEC can't come to agreement on, on this stuff and with Russia and it just, the price of oil just drops like crazy because there's a glut of oil. The thing that I was wanting to, you guys to realize is this though, low oil prices is good for the American economy in some way. Yeah. So there is the fact that the shale oil producers are so over leveraged with all of this easy money at low interest rates that um, they have figured out ways to produce oil at like around $40, $50. I think it's like $50 a barrel to produce shale oil from shale, the shale oil, right? So if you have that amount and, and the oil prices go down to $30 a barrel, it doesn't make any sense for them to produce oil. So at an extended amount of time, if you have oil at $30 a barrel, then those shale oil companies who are not producing oil at that point will start going bankrupt. And that's where the market's kind of overreacted in America is that, the shale oil producers. But they have m- enough money for months of revenue, I would imagine, in some ways to take these losses over time, but they will shut down at some point. And uh, if you have extended amounts of time for that, for uh, at low, low, low barrel of oil price, right? But the thing about that is, is this, most of your money that you spend for transportation costs is on gas. And low oil prices is good, is generally good for the overall economy. I can't say it's bad, so I don't know why it overreacted the way it did to drop 2,000 points. It's a major overreaction. It might be a good time to buy into the market if that's the case. I mean, I'm no expert on it, but I mean, I would think to myself, you know, um, it might be a buying opportunity now, or it might continue to go down more. Who knows? Um, For me, I'm not freaking out by any means, though, so I don't know that you guys really need to either, but you know what? I tend to stay pretty conservative on my investing, and I also tend to um, not freak out in times of any type of crisis because over time you're just going to keep on buying into it if you have like any type of retirement account anyway. I don't know how many of you guys do, but um, 
yeah, I'm, but I am not a financial advisor. I just don't see the anything that's making me think to myself, holy crap, the world's about to come to an end. That's all I wanted to say. I really don't see it. Um, the coronavirus, while it has a pretty high um, rate of death for like really old people that already have some type of underlying problem, for younger people that are under 70s and 80s, or under 60, I guess, they don't seem like they're affected by it too much. People aren't like dropping dead, and if they are, they had some sort of underlying you know, illness previous to that anyway. So I'm not too freaked out about the coronavirus either, whereas the whole world seems like it's freaking out about it. Um, I would assume that it's spread across the entire world by now without people even realizing, because if you have some sort of respiratory illness, um, but it's not too bad, are you really going to go to the doctor? No, you're just going to let it pass, and I would imagine that that's the case for a lot of people as well. So I'm not too freaked out about the coronavirus either. So that's why I say it could be a good buying opportunity. But we are in a sand foundation with the markets in the sense that interest rates are probably way lower than they than they should be. Um, I don't think they're too much lower than they should be just because a lot of retirees uh, that are retiring are buying into the bond markets. And it ca- that causes interest rates to go really low in the first place when you have, you know, ch- you know, you have. 10, 12 trillion dollars in savings over the next 5 or 10 years with the baby boomers retiring that's going to get transferred from equity stocks into bonds that puts downward pressure on interest rates so I don't know that the interest rate should be at like 1% but it might be where it should be around 2 or 3% and not the normal 7, 8% that you would see in the 90s and early 2000s before the baby boomers really started retiring um, but that's just my take on it that on the interest rate side of it as well, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's built on a slight sand, uh, on a sand foundation in the sense that the credit markets and the financial markets have been, uh, really propped up over the last decade by the Federal Reserve. Uh, so anyway, that's all I got on that as well. I just don't think it's time to freak out by any means. Um, but I, who knows? We'll see what happens. Uh, only the future can tell, right? But hey guys, this is all I got for this show. I think I went a little bit longer than I normally do, so I hope that you enjoy it. Um, but I appreciate you continuing to listen to this show as well uh, every single day. I notice my numbers continue to go up, and that's great. That means a lot of you guys are listening, but also that a lot of you are returning to listen uh, every single day, so I appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate all of my listeners. I've been doing this for over a year now, and it's really just starting to take off, it seems like to me, and that's great. Uh, Share it with your friends. Let your friends know about the show as well. If they were interested in the 2020 election from a libertarian perspective, hey, you might as well listen to Ion 2020, right? Uh, You can check me out on Ion 20, uh, excuse me, iontheempire.com is the website I have, as well as Ion the Empire on Facebook and on Twitter. It's easy to message me through Facebook and on Twitter as well if you go to the either of those two pages. Uh, but the best thing you can do, since this is a Monday and a uh, Thursday show, is come on back on Thursday so you can have clear vision for 2020. 